0: Frontier War Stories, Episode 9. Before I go any further, I'd like to acknowledge the Aboriginal warriors and Aboriginal people who fought in the frontier. Welcome to Frontier War Stories. Before I go on any further, I'd like to pay my respects uh, to uh, to all Aboriginal people who fought in the frontier wars, which began as early as 1788 until the 1930s. That's roughly 140 years that Aboriginal people continued to fight, I would also like to pay my respects to all the mobs um, that are here today around uh, this continent. Each episode, I will speak with different Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people about research, books and oral histories, which have documented the first 140 years of conflict um, Conflict and resistance. These times are the frontier wars and these are our war stories. In episode nine, I speak with PhD candidate Eco Tourism teacher at the University of Ballarat. Uh, His previous publications and MA thesis uh, have centered on the history of interracial relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples of central headlands of Victoria uh, in the colonial period. Um, Thanks Fred for coming on and having a chat with us, um, sharing your time. Uh, with us as well, as, and, and also giving us an insight in the sort of your field of research, I guess your expertise, I guess, um, in this area. Um, and, and, and I'm sure, you know, there's sort of many accounts throughout, you know, Victoria, like there is in different parts as well. Yours is just sort of one of many um, stories that have been told or need to be, con- need to be told, or and also continued uh, to be told as well. So thank you for joining us. Uh,
1: pleasure. Thanks for inviting us, Beau, and Uh, it's terrific to be able to add to the um, tapestry of knowledge that we're building up you know that uh, especially programs such as sales are building up and uh, like like you uh, I'd like to acknowledge the uh, the Watharung people uh, whose country I'm uh, living and working on at the moment and uh, Mm. yes thanks for
0: inviting me on awesome deadly now that's uh, the pleasure is all mine Um, and just before we go any further as well so in this uh, in the show we're going to sort of be focusing on uh, the Victorian resistance uh, from around 1800 to 1870. Um, And within that as well, within that sort of 70 year period, um, Fred mentions um, heavily as well in, in sort of his, in his books, that there were three forms um, of invasions. uh, That was the British, the settlers, and then uh, the gold rush or the gold, seekers and miners. Um, we're going to be talking about economic warfare the use of fire as a form of resistance and not to mention, um, I think this, this last point, I guess maybe uh, is one of the most important points as well is the first governor of Victoria was a military officer as well. So that would have influenced um, uh, lots of um, actions, policies or, you know, uh, what happened in and around that time as well. So I just sort of kick it off. Um, that the, the governor of Victoria at the time, was that around the eight before the 1800s or did did he come after?
1: Uh, 1830s.
0: 1830s. Okay, cool. So, um, well, I guess like, like we'll go back a bit further then before we get into talking about him. Uh, you, a lot of your research, uh, begins around the 1800s. Could you sort of just tell us a bit about that time? Is this sort of the indication is this well after, um, uh, European settlement has already got there and have set up, or is this sort of the beginning of of everything?
1: Uh, the beginning of the white um, you know invasion of what was then called Port Phillip District mm-hmm. of of uh, New South Wales. You know, Victoria was part of New South Wales mm-hmm. in the early eighteen hundreds. Um, so the the British were um, wanting to. Um, keep the French out of out of Australia. Basically they wanted uh you know Australia to remain a, a, a Brit you know purely British colony. So they sent um a, a uh one of the ways to you know establish the a um you know control point was to send a convict colony, establish a convict colony. Uh so which they did and it was a failed convicts settlement and uh, but to do so, they first of all needed to survey the area, so they sent um, literally military vessels um, it, you know they weren't civil you know, um, surveying expeditions they were mm. military vessels and and I'm stressing that point because we often think of uh, these surveying expeditions as civilian that um, you know they were relatively benign, but uh, anything could be further from the mm. truth that um, mm straight up they had military encounters with uh, hundreds of uh, Wathurung and Boonarong warriors um, and the British um, uh, you know on one occasion at least uh, retreated back to their military vessel laying off the shoreline just near uh, present day uh, near Geelong and Melbourne you know most of your listeners will be familiar with those two cities and uh, uh, the the uh, military commander of that vessel wrote in his journal that um, he, he, was, uh, he wanted to send a clear message to the uh, Aboriginal peoples and ordered his officers to fire their cannons, um, six 12-pounders, um, into the uh, very large mass of uh, Aboriginal warriors uh, lying on, you know, sort of um, standing there, defending their country on the beach. So yeah, right right from the outset, uh, it was a um, very much a, I would argue, a military styled um, uh, su- surveying and then a military styled occupation of uh, Aboriginal lands in this part of Australia.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I remember um, talking to Libby Connors. She wrote the book um, in uh, in regards to the the resistance up here in Brisbane, uh, uh, Dunderling. Uh, Was a warrior um, who was one of the last publicly executed um, people, uh, uh, Aboriginal non-Aboriginal people, um, uh, in what now known as Post Office Square. Ironically, which is sort of across from where um, Anzac Square is is located today as well. Um, And I remember she mentioned that um, um, in and around these times as well. uh, the governor there was correspondence between the governor of here and and and, and back to britain as well the governor of new south wales and he was mentioning and, and 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 sort of the the telegram back here was stating that um we don't want another bloody we don't want to build an empire on the black back of blood and, and bloodshed like we have in the past um yeah. and it's ironic that you know like you know off the bat sort of you know in this sort of part of the country, you know we have you know uh, military soldiers sort of um, you know beginning their expedition sort of in another part of the country with you know um one military sort of uh, power, but then also um you know firing cannons straight out um to, you know, to disperse or to send a message, you know, to Aboriginal people as well. So off the bat, you know, it's pretty clear with the intent of what, you know, uh, people want to do here, um, you know, with sort of expanding, you know, the colony down further as well.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I I, um, deliberately uh, was mentioning that the the British at that point in time were um, um, either at war or, um, you know, on the verge of war with France because it uh it influ- you know, greatly influenced as you could probably imagine their um, what vessels they sent to colonize Aboriginal Australia um, uh, because you know they it was literally uh, fortifications were being built hmm. military fortifications to um, in in the first instance to send a clear message to the French that you know that, that they were claiming Aboriginal Australia, uh, but it also um, yeah, the military officers, by way of example, who mm. commanded the convict settlement uh, down here in um, what was then called, what we now call Sorrento, which is just mm. southeast of Melbourne. <clears throat> uh, um, he said in his correspondence to his superiors that if he was to stay, he would need a, a much larger military force uh, because of uh, the large numbers of Aboriginal warriors you know, sort of present in the area.
0: Mm-hmm. So there
1: was both a, a need to uh, militarily send a clear message to the French and also uh, he was giving a clear message to his superior that uh, militarily he needed to, uh, he felt the need to uh, get out of Victoria, what we now call Victoria, move to Tasmania because he didn't have military, um, you know, sufficient military force to, to uh, stay there.
0: Mm, mm, mm. Um, <clears throat> well, I guess, yeah, you know, with sort of the military sort of ships coming, how long did it take from to sort of establish it around that area?
1: Um, I, I'm, there's a pregnant pause because I'm trying to think of a way to uh, yeah, turn a, a a long answer into a short answer. Um, no, that's all good. Or, <laughs> For a period of um, three decades, essentially, from 1800 to 1830s, you know, mid-1830s, uh, the, the British really did not want uh, um, the, uh, another colony, basically, uh, which we now call Victoria. Um, they wanted to, uh, economically, they wanted to uh, just contain, you know, sort of their colonial conquest to um, what we now call New South Wales and, and Tasmania but eventually the um uh I suppose economic entrepreneurs you know british um you know what we now call squatters um occupied what we now call victoria and the uh the colonial governments have caved in to um the the um you know the the, the greed of the mm. of the of the squatters mm. and so hence you know the uh the, the new wave of invasion started which was Uh, Not so much a uh, military one as as a first wave, uh, as I'm calling them. Um, But, you know, I I quickly became aware, looking at the squatter's records, you know, these uh, mainly young uh, Scottish, um, uh, you know, sheep farmers, that they were um, armed to the teeth. Mm. Um, They, uh, you know, um, it it sounds a bit, uh, you know, sort of, out of place to say this, but uh, you know, they, they use their revolvers, you know, their pistols, as they call them, um, slung in their belts, almost like bling. You know, so mm. that's um, how it, it was common attire to, um, you know, have women and men, white women and men to have pistols, you know, mm. several pistols, you know, and this was um, a, a form of, um, you know, I would argue a form of uh, civilian military sort of force uh, that mm. they were exhibiting to the the local aboriginal population
0: Mm. and i guess so you know 30 years after sort of you know the military sort of gets down um there is some establishment down in this part of new south wales uh soon to be called victoria um how quickly did sort of the violence from the british change to uh violence uh with the squatters and and aboriginal people
1: um, it's a uh, it, it's I'm being cagey here I suppose because uh, right at that point in time when you know, in the mid 1830s there was a, um, a shift in the um, a very significant shift in how the British uh, saw Aboriginal populations across the globe we have uh, the British uh, being successful in um, uh, abolishing slavery um and there was a very uh, what we would now call a very humanitarian style government in um you know very influential movement in britain at the time and they were um they literally had a royal cook you know sort of a 19th century version of the royal commission into the um you know how, how to improve aboriginal people you know their their treatment of aboriginal peoples across the globe um so the uh the 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 attitude and the um, uh, the emphasis of, of the um, British colonial governors and the administration had to um, uh, tie in with what was happening in Britain, basically. So, uh, to, you know, to get to answering your question, the 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 violence was nowhere in Victoria. Was uh, I would argue was nowhere near as. Um, in, in the 1830s, upon official colonisation in 1835, mm-hmm. was um, you know rather um, dampened down, um, um, and it took probably about another five years for the um, I, I would argue for the um, racial, you know, interracial wars to really start <laughs> ramping up. So there was a, a lull whereby the the um, squatters didn't really want a um, uh, a repeat of what had occurred in Tasmania, where most of them had come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that they were keen not to have a, they had an economic uh, reason not to engage in war with the Aboriginal peoples and were trying to um, you know, re- reach some kind of a, um, a point where, you know, they could co- cohabit with one another. And uh, this is just my, you know, as a historian's opinion. You know, so ask mm. ten historians, you'll get eleven different opinions.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess just on that as well, like that's sort of what you know. Um, you know, I, I guess in and around these times, there, there was the the War of Independence. I guess in what would now be the United States. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, Britain sort of losing territory. I think in the United States, and and you know, um, and that's sort of using if that's, if I have my time period correct, um, you know, they're losing sort of a massive amount of resources that they could sort of make from, from land as well. So I guess, you know, the, the idea to come and you know colonize new countries would be for that, you know, economic benefit as well. Um, and, you know, off the bat, you know, seeing sort of the military straight down to this sort of part of, of Australia now, um, and firing upon, you know, cannons upon sort of, you know, the Aboriginal warriors um, is sort of a clear indicator of, um, you know, like their intent to sort of say, hey, you know, we're going to sort of, you know, make resources or gain resources by any means, um, which, you know, happens, I guess, regardless, you know, whether we call it sort of a... um, Coexisting, sort of between the two as well um but yeah i I just thought that that was interesting because um you know like countries are sort of built off the back of 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 resources and also you know um well you know you just mentioned slavery being abolished by that time um you know there, there, there needs to be sort of another form of sort of making resources at a cheap rate but then also at a high rate as well so we see you know you know um, more colonies more ways to sort of make resources and and i guess this is sort of is is it's coming up to now sort of that third form or sort of invasion of this part of the country with the gold miners um well the 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 second wave the, yeah, second wave the squatters squatters yeah. was like but, um
1: that lasted for um you know uh, a bit over a decade here in Victoria, uh, between 1835 and uh, the start of the gold rushes in the, uh, 1851. So you had this 15-year period where the uh, the squatters were um, uh, numerically outnumbered by the Aboriginal population, in, you know, in a very um, you know, significant way, and the squatters were well and truly aware of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point in time, too, the military. Um, well, not so much a military technology. The um, uh, because it, it wasn't a, a military colony like New South Wales was. So much it mm. was very much a, a colony that was um, uh, controlled and um, uh, occupied by by squatters rather mm. than a, a military administration per se. Mm, mm,
0: mm.
1: Uh, so the, the squatters were, like I was saying, were were initially were trying uh their hardest from a from an economic point of view to to not wage warfare and mm. we can see some evidence that aboriginal people likewise were um uh adapting their um their ways of welcoming you know people onto country mm. uh and trying to get the the, the most you know um out, out of these white invaders um that they, they were quite um there's a lot of evidence to suggest you know that they were keen to uh get what resources they could from these people who were occupying their country Mm. Mm. and coexists. um Mm. that they had to both you know fight a a, um like in in any guerrilla warfare you have to live with the enemy literally Mm. and and try to uh survive and thrive uh whilst fighting a war and um it's a tricky business um, mm.
0: um. No, it, it would be, it would be. Um yeah, you know, because I remember um in previous sort of uh episodes chatting with, you know, uh different people, uh historians as well, and mentioning that, you know, um around certain times when you know the, the colony is more prevalent to sort of you know, Aboriginal people working within the colony as well. Um even even um in some in some instances, how uh, these warriors sort of um, you know working with um, different sort of industries to make to make money or to barter and trade um, you know different things you know over, over a period of time and then going back to sort of living and raiding uh, different parts of the country As Well, we see you know like 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 what you're mentioning. Um, I guess one aspect surviving sort of um, you know. Partaking in the guerrilla warfare, but then also surviving it as well, which I saw you mention in, uh, in, in a previous article as well. Um, and, and one story that you know, pops to mind, a few actually, is, um, you know, these warriors, you know, and I guess at this time, there were no sort of photo you know, evidence or, or, or sketches at the time to say, hey, this is what this person looks like. Um, you know, so be on the lookout for this person, you know, so that that sort of added to the element of, you know, I guess, surprise um, guerrilla warfare tactics as well that, you know, average people used as well um, in those times to sort of um, keep him spooked, but then also, you know, know what's sort of happening in and around these different colonies.
1: Yeah. The, 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 you get, you get a sense from the, I get a sense from the squatters, uh, records, you know, their diaries and memoirs and letters, you know, sort of, uh, to relatives that, uh, that, you know, they were living in a state of, um, uh, flux, you know, that they, they were, um, you know, that they were, they were scared for, um, you know, for the, for their livelihoods. And, uh, so they sought ways to, um, conciliate, uh, with mm-hmm. key Aboriginal in- individuals as a way, as a means of, um, uh, not not trying not to engage with the Aboriginal people in a frontal warfare um, mm. uh, side of things, but um, ha- trying to um, engage in a meaningful manner to to so they could avoid bloodshed. And we see, I think it's really clear that Aboriginal people likewise were um, in the main keen to avoid uh, full, you know sort of full frontal warfare with these um invaders as well so that mm. better to um as all guerrilla you know sort of uh, fighters do you you uh literally sometimes were living in their huts and you could um you know observe um you know sort of when they came out and when they came in and get mm. into what we would now call intel mm.
0: Uh, mm.
1: The, uh, so we see their um their tactics the aboriginal people's tactics was to um, not so much kill uh, the white people um, but to kill their economic um, reason for being there and they um, on very on quite a few occasions this was quite successful that uh, mm. by killing their sheep or um, setting fire to their property uh, and you know their, um, that the squatters literally got up and left Mm, um, mm, and this was mm. a very effective way of uh, repelling the invaders was by mm. um, striking at their economic
0: heartland rather than uh, killing them outright. Mm, mm. Um, and I remember, yeah, like like this is it's a very common theme um, in different parts of the country. in in the In the last eight episodes that I've had, this is this has always sort of been, um, I guess, the stronghold of the resistance was. Um, to do everything bar sort of one, you know, kill the you know, the squatters or all the, or, or the invaders, but mainly just sort of to maim and to, and to sort of burn the land, get rid of the cattle, uh, whether it was to injure or kill the, or kill the cattle, um, and then, you know, strike sort of this real strong chord of economic warfare, um, you know, to uh, the squatters or to whoever. um I don't know like this is may may sort of be just sort of a, a long-winded sort of question but did you ever find out how much um how much effect that this would have had on the economy at the time
1: it um yeah there there's several records of uh squatters literally having to abandon their um their squatting runs mm. um so you know we know in, in several instances uh that this was ex- extraordinarily successful mm-hmm. um we know from the the general pattern of correspondence between squatters amongst themselves and uh, re, you know, recorded um, government you know sort of uh, records as well that um, uh, there was a, a, a great sense you know, mm-hmm. petitions to the government as well you know so mm-hmm. that we, we have really clear evidence that, mm-hmm. uh, that this uh, war of resistance was uh, you know taking great effect that it was really holding back from a british point of view the economic development and the um you know people were literally um scared to go into the um um you know the the, the districts and the zones in victoria mm-hmm. that um you know didn't you know that there was insufficient um protection for them mm-hmm. to uh, to go into so uh yeah that it, it was very very effective you know we you know so w- without that resistance then um uh, the occupation of um, Aboriginal Victoria would have occurred much much quicker,
0: mm, mm, mm. and I guess you know through this as well. We're talking, you know, roughly around seventy years as well. So this is um, this this is, this is this is like seventy years is pretty much in the lifespan of three generations of of people. Um, you know, from the early eighteen hundreds to you know um, the nineteen seventies you know, um, if at all, well, I guess, you know, if those people in that period of time are lucky to sort of have, you know, uh, families, like, like we're looking at a seven, you know, like three different generations of it. Um, yeah, you know, like just on that sort of economic warfare part, we mentioned, um, the burning of crops, the, the maiming or sort of the just injuring, um, uh, animals, um, or, or even stealing in some other accounts. I remember chatting with some other people on previous, um, Episodes about you know a funny story like that they're just leading um, um, you know whatever cattle or sort of sheep um, the uh, the squatters or the farmers have you know tens of miles away um, and then just sort of dispersing them out or leaving them sort of in in sort of a natural sort of um, uh, fenced off sort of area you know, and, and and just sort of laughing that, you know, it's taking sort of the squatters in the pastures months and, and weeks to sort of find uh, their cattle, um, which, which I thought was funny, you know, just pretty much leaving them on like a, a wild goose chase in different parts of the country, um, you know. And also in previous episodes, um, oh, actually, you, you mentioned something uh, on the phone the other day when I was chatting about Aboriginal um, people using dingoes.
1: Yeah, the um and oh, you know, just before I go into the dingo, so I was nodding my head that we have uh, numerous instances uh, that uh, you know replicate what you've been discovering in other parts of Australia of um mm. Aboriginal people literally becoming um uh, you know what the squatters you know would term you know sort of they're forming their own sheep stations <laughs> yeah yeah dealing yeah, yeah. Mm. the whitefellas sheep and um taking them hundreds of kilometres away and yeah the the whitefellas coming along and finding um you know fenced in sheep runs uh, with the mm. Aboriginal people you know sort of slowly um, you know, slaughtering yeah. their sheep, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, much to their, um, you know, obvious, uh, yeah, surprise. And, uh, but yeah, the, the use of dingoes was really, really, uh, carefully done and, you know, very skillfully done, um, to, uh, you know, remembering that, uh, sheep was, you know, you know, I think we're, you know, old enough to, you know, maybe to remember the expression that uh, Australia's economy is on the back of, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, yeah, you know, was b- built on wool basically yeah so uh, you know i'm emphasizing that because uh you know this was crucial you know th- this wasn't you know this was our major economy this is why they were here was uh was for the wool so the um the sheep were seen as um like gold mm. uh, if you within you know those sort of vein so the aboriginal people very quickly um you know we have many many records of them using their uh, their dogs you know what the um squatters called their dogs their dingoes to direct them to uh, scatter and disperse the sheep and the white fathers being so uh you know sort of incompetent in the australian bush this this wasn't a a a minor um uh, intrusion into the economic life you know this meant the loss literally of their economic life Mm. um, by having their sheep dispersed across the bush because at that point in time there were tens of thousands of wild dingoes in the bush tens of thousands Mm. and so they knew that uh if the sheep were scattered in the bush they were dead you know so the you know wild dingoes were known to you know literally wipe out flocks um you know, in, in a very quick period of time so this was an extraordinary um effective way of um, um disenchanting and um you know sort of, um you know, creating a sense of uh misery for for the colonists was a very effective way to uh, oust them from aboriginal country by mm, using mm. ingots deliberately to uh, disperse the uh, the sheep it, it it doesn't sound like much but it actually we know from the records that uh, it was a very effective tool
0: mm mm-hmm. um, and then you know another thing interesting you brought up on the phone uh, a few days ago as well when we chatted um, was fire and how that was used as well uh, around these times could you mm-hmm. sort of um, yes. elaborate on that
1: the um... The the, the whitefellas were um, you know right, right across Australia were um, and particularly in Victoria you know, it, you, know uh, you know we know is one of the most fire prone areas you know in the, on the globe mm-hmm. um, uh, were particularly uh, wary and uh, you know, um, just uh, terrified in fact of uh, of fires you know ripping through their their properties and uh, killing their sheep you know sort of killing their economic livelihood. And they were also aware, you know, right from the outset, that uh, Aboriginal people were using a, a fire as a uh, a way of, um, you know, cleaning up country and um, mm. you know, providing uh, what they call green pick, uh, you know, the fresh new grass for um, the you know their uh, livestock, the kangaroos and the mm. wildlife. Um, so that, you know, the uh, the whites often commented on how skillful Aboriginal people were in. In, um in uh, using fire to fire the country and also how skillful they were at putting out fire too you know they had mm. great you know they were seen to execute um, with great precision uh fire you know the fire as a tool and very very quickly it uh, was observed by uh, the the British squatters that uh, Aboriginal people were using fire as a as a weapon against them and mm. they were, um there are many records of Aboriginal people uh, coming to the colonists and using English and saying, "You know, we will burn you out <laughs> if you don't leave." Mm-hmm. Um, in, in you know, th- this isn't some postmodernist twenty-first century interpretation. You know, we mm-hmm. have very clear records of um, Aboriginal people articulating that they were going to use fire against them um, as a uh, as a clear weapon, and the British took it very very seriously.
0: Mm-mm. That's. This is just a side note. It's ironic that uh, you mentioned that. Um, now, a dear friend of mine, um, you know, and uh, I guess you could say like a, uh, um, an ally or a comrade, like a, a real good friend of mine. Um, uh, they organised, um, like we organised the rallies on Invasion Day, um, and a few years ago, actually in Victoria, one of them mentioned, you know, hypothetically, um, because of the history and the racism that Australia. Um, you know, continues to sort of, you know, um, give out to um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people and anybody, I guess, that isn't necessarily white, um, you know, um, the country should burn to the ground, hypothetically, you know, um, she got all this backlash, they got all this backlash for like, you know, weeks upon end, months upon end, um, but it's ironic because she's from Victoria as well. Um, and that you mentioned that, you know, that mm. there is clearly, you know, Aboriginal people who articulate very, very well that, you know, we'll use, you know, uh, yeah. So I, I just had to, like, uh, I just bring that up as well. Um, but yeah, a bit you know, of irony. T- yeah, but, but definitely a bit of irony. Um, um, uh, you know, chatting in, in, in previous, uh, and so, uh, in, in previous, uh, episodes, um, you know, I've actually got to this part or, of the, of conversating with anybody in terms of, you know, them using fire in this way. But, you know, uh, when I spoke to Ray Kirko, we, we, we mentioned, or he mentioned about uh, fire signaling and how that was used, um, as a form of resistance over, you know, hundreds of kilometers away to, to let other Aboriginal people know. And I know that, um, from chatting with some of the mob from the Aboriginal workers from the, the national museum, uh, down in Sydney, <clears throat> um, they mentioned sort of, you know, the signal filing, fire signaling, sorry, um, when Cook was um, sort of sailing up the East Coast um, and, then, and there was these points, you know, where mob actually lit these fires and stuff as well. So yeah, it's sort of interesting sort of hearing like, like another part of, of how um, the fire was sort of used to sort of indicate or, or, or to disperse and, and as a form of resistance as well.
1: And also, you know, I'd add to that list. Um, and I'm nodding my head. You know, mm. Obviously, you can't see me nodding my head, but uh, you know, similar sort of scenarios, uh, mm. very similar scenarios occurred here. But also, uh, to add to that uh, list, I suppose of actions that fire causes is uh, avoidance. That uh, you mm. know, one of the uh, most important strategies when you're employing guerrilla warfare against an invader is to avoid your enemy uh, until you're in the um, a, uh, a powerful position to attack them, and almost all the white squatters. Uh, in fact, I'd say, you know, or I'd use go so far as to say that they uh, initially wanted to make contact. Um, you know, made great efforts, in fact, to make contact with the Aboriginal people, so that they, uh, knowing that they were militarily, um, um, you know, weaker than the Aboriginal um, mobs so they wanted to um make contact with them and um you know sort of try and sue for a peaceful you know sort of uh, way of um you know settling in amongst them as they saw it and they always reported that um you know that they couldn't make contact initially that the aboriginal people were deliberately avoiding them they knew that there were hundreds you know sometimes in some areas you know sort of thousands of aboriginal people but uh they were Um, they'd see smoke signals going up Mm. and um, you know every like you were saying before everywhere they went you know so these smoke signals were going up and so they go towards the smoke and um, you know thinking that's where the Aboriginal people are and by that point in time they'd shifted you know they were indicating to each other there are whites on the way Mm. Um, and so they'd you know retreat back into the bush wait until, you know, so the whites were in a position where, you know, they could be attacked safely and then attack them. Mm. Um, Mm. Really, really effective uh, tactic.
0: Definitely. uh,
1: Avoiding your enemy when they're at their strongest and attacking them when they're at
0: their weakest. And also to note, I think as well, you know, um, in this podcast, what we're you know, you know the main focus of this is to sort of discuss the resistance that Aboriginal people use and the tactics, and not to mention that um, you know before before any interaction that any any mob had in a form of resistance to to, to the British, um, you know that type of warfare that they were going to experience was alien, you know one to you know, the weapons that Aboriginal people use to, I guess, how the terrain would be used um, later down the track in warfare as well. So, you know, um, in this conversation here, you know, we're talking about um, in a seven-year period how Aboriginal people sort of had to adapt uh, their combat uh, and their warfare in terms of to resist and survive under you know, the British invasion, uh, the squatters invasion, and then sort of the gold rush and, and the gold seekers invasion of this part of Victoria uh, for this uh, uh, 70 year period as well. And then, you know, you just look at, you know, uh, the whole country in general, um, how Aboriginal people had to adapt really quickly um, to use, mm-hmm. <clears throat> to adapt to warfare, um, to, to, to an alien sort of new form of warfare. One that I think, um, doesn't or hasn't sort of shown or um, well, I guess like in their warfare it's more lawless I guess you could say because um, in some accounts that you know where I've chatted to people um, they've, they've recorded you know um, whether it's battling or warfare that we call it between Aboriginal people it was in like for the most part in designated areas you know under sort of um, the watch fly of many people under the watchful eye of elders um and 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 like i'm sort of new to sort of trying to understand how you know um people um conducted their own warfare amongst each other or in battling amongst each other as well so um yeah i I just thought you know we're talking about how (coughs) one amazing, you know, the tactics out of Aboriginal people, which we should be noting as well. And in the same instance of that as well, what we're looking at um, is how they quickly had to adapt to sort of this new sort of form of of resistance as well.
1: Yeah, the um, historians such as, um, you know, Henry Reynolds has uh, you know, brought up a, uh, an interesting aspect of, of, of warfare that, uh, you know, we don't often consider and that is of uh, spiritual warfare that uh, mm. uh, traditionally you know that was a, a, a used as a very effective means of uh you know warfare amongst uh, aboriginal communities themselves and uh, we we know there are various uh, examples where they uh, attempted to use spiritual warfare you know to to um well you know what we would now um I suppose probably term something along the lines of um, um, ca- casting, um, uh, not spells, that's probably, you know, so that's the wrong word, but um, mm. trying to, uh, you know, spiritually oust uh, mm. y- your enemy from, from country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was uh, you know, clearly was
0: attempted by Aboriginal and Whites. Definitely. And I think, you know, the added element of that and then also guerrilla warfare, you know, I guess really sort of, you know, if you want to say spooked, but, you know, really sort of got to the, you know, to the, to the British, to the squatters and to anybody sort of that was, you know, in this early period of time as well. And having sort of these interactions, um, these interactions with Aboriginal people as well, like, you know, that would have been, you know, one added element you know, especially if you're, you know, if you're a squatter and, you know, um, the next camp, you know, is, you know, if not tens, but a hundred miles away, that this is what's going to be in the back of your head, you know, whether mm. or not you, 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 like, you're getting sleep as well. Um, you know, yeah, which sort of adds to the element, um, of what we mentioned before, you know, there weren't no sort of detailed records of what these average people look like. Maybe, maybe, um, Maybe sketches or, 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 or you know, a short description of, of or you know how high they stood or you know um, if they sort of had a distincted, you know, uh, walk or sort of um, something about them. But other than that, you know, um, if if you was to come in contact or hear about you know uh, the frontier violence, you know, you you'd be second guessing to sort of wonder who you know, uh, which Aboriginal people would be amongst that, especially if the colony is well-developed as well. And, you know, um, Brisbane, you know, was still well-developed um, as a colony while still, you know, you know, while that, while Brisbane was set up as a colony, there was, you know, a 40-year resistance that, you know, was taking place um, around that time, you know, so if they didn't, you know, really know what they looked like, then, you know, there was another thing coming, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, You've brought up a good point that, um, you know, we tend to forget that, uh, as particularly in guerrilla warfare, that intimidation and, um, uh, you know, fear is a very large component of uh, waging war, that, um, the, the unknown is, um, you know, always playing, you know, plaguing you, literally, uh, creates a, an uncertainty, uh, for your from a white's perspective of mm. your economic viability is, uh, you know, always hanging in the, in the air, uh, was, um, definitely, uh, um, you know, used as a, by Aboriginal pe- pe- mm. people as a, um, a military tool mm. uh, to, mm. um, um, you know, talk about, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, during the first world war, by what, example, uh, you know, we called, you know, the, the germans the huns you know we we created these nasty you know sort of expressions for one another and created this uh, political propaganda about one you know sort of each 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 other's enemies and mm-hmm. this was played out you know by aboriginal people and by white people as well that um uh, there was a, a great deal of um of intimidation one one you know really physical example i suppose is aboriginal people uh, were known to exhibit their military prowess to whites by um placing a piece of you know deliberately
0: oh, well. one second uh this audio is starting to muck up damn we getting really good too i just have to stop this for now no worries um so just just then fred uh, there was a bit, we, we had a bit of technical difficulty, but you were mentioning sort of the mental warfare uh, that Aboriginal people uh, used um, uh, you know, in the frontier wars, I guess, not just in Victoria, but many parts of Australia.
1: Mm. Yeah, we have um, many instances of Aboriginal people uh, deliberately intimidating uh, white people as a means of warfare by showing them their, um, uh, the white people, their military. Uh, superiority with uh, you know their weapons and uh, one um, I suppose you know amusing from a um, you know retrospective point of view is Aboriginal people uh, deliberately uh, inviting whites to uh, see their military prowess and Mm. uh, placing a piece of bark up in a tree and then spearing it from a long distance away Mm -hmm. and demonstrating uh, we can harm you we can harm you at any time we can strike and mm. we are accurate, and we are dangerous. Don't
0: mm-hmm. you know, white people, that mm. back to the Aboriginal people. Definitely, definitely, of course, you know, um, and that's I guess that sort of goes into sort of those are uh, those military tactics of intimidation as well. I remember actually speaking to a a few different people, um, and and they mentioned how you know uh, white people in, those, in these times love to sort of witness you know, sort of this, um, the inter sort of battles between different, uh, nations, you know, uh, they loved it, you know, they loved the for, you know, for the theatre side of it, they, you know, uh, lots of people saying, um, you know, the ferociousness that, you know, the average people were fighting, but then also how it was, um, how it was set up, you know, uh, in some cases, you know, uh, that wait till nightfall and, you know, uh, really set the scene, um, in a circle with, uh, uh, Pitched uh, uh fire fire stick sort of you know making uh around you know sort of the the, the, uh, the battlegrounds um but then you know the, the amount of people that would be attending these sort of um interactions as well you know hundreds of people um uh, will sort of gather uh to take turns and sort of battling it out um you know, peacefully battling it out in in sort of these um um, in these instances, you know, um, I remember you know Callum actually, who's on the first episode, he mentioned when he was looking through some records for his book, um, he mentioned how one of the neighbouring tribes, I believe was Dungaria I think, or, or another tribe, um, where they had the, the gathering of different tribes around and they had about, you know, seven to, you know, 800 people, you know, from different nations sort of gather and participate in, in the ceremony and in sort of this. Um, uh, and, and these battles as well, you know, like, like take turns and, and whatnot as well. So, uh, and then, mm. you, know, uh, you know, white folks love to record them, love to sketch them. You know, in Libby Connor's book, she um, talks about um, there's a sketch in the book actually of one of the main streets um, in Brisbane near uh, the PA hospital, where somewhere um, off that in another street, um, you know, it was used as a battleground as well. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's a very similar situation. I'm nodding my head effusively uh, here in Victoria. That um, you know, ironically, in the suburb of uh, what we now call Fitzroy, which is a mm-hmm. um, you know Victoria's version of Redfern, if you like, mm-hmm. um, uh, we, yeah, whites were often literally invited or invited themselves, one of the two, to these um, what I would call um, seemingly, from a white historian's point of view uh, judicial proceedings is what I'd call, it, uh, where, um, uh, you know, like you were describing, uh, there, there was a, a very ritualized and formalized, um, form of, um, of battle, which the, uh, yeah, the squatters really, um, kind of appreciated, like you said, in a theatrical sort of way. And they also, you know, I'd like to add to what you were saying in that, um, uh, most of the records that I read, you know, they were extraordinarily impressed by the, um, uh, bravery, I suppose of of the warriors, both men and women you know so sort of mm. they often would you know really highlight the um you know people getting uh, you know a, a spear and a leg uh you know men and women, mm. and literally just sort of you know oh you know that was, that was a um you know that was a scratch wound and you know pulling a, a spear out of the leg and continuing battle you know the, mm. the British squatters you know, really took note of the, um, the valour of, uh, mm. you know, sort of the battle, you know, that they were uh, extraordinarily, um, uh, you know, hardened warriors. And also uh, commented on, um, you know, funny from a 21st century point of view of, um, mm. you know, how tough the women were, the Aboriginal women, you know, mm. that they, um, uh, you know, were, were not, um, you know, scaredy cats in terms of um, mm. joining, you know, sort of joining in, Mm. The, uh, the battle at, at appropriate moments. Again, mm. it was very uh, formalized and ritualized. Uh, you know, things had to be done in a particular sort of manner. Um, mm. It wasn't mm. an all-out battle between the two. It was mm. uh, done in a very um, you know, very, very formal, you know, sort of almost, you know, with the master ceremonies, you know, sort of controlling mm. how, how much blood was spilt and when it was time. Mm. To um, to pull back and um, you know, sort of uh, make friends again.
0: Hmm, it's um, interesting that part as well because, you know, I guess what we see uh on this continent as well is you know Aboriginal people exercising sort of this form of, of, of combat for you know, we can just say sixty thousand years and having the yeah. advantage of knowing um, the terrain. Um, knowing, you know, every sort of inch, you know, from the plant to the mountain to the river um, and then sort of having, you know, um, you know, an invading force coming in with sort of superior weapons, but then sort of saying, Hey, wait a minute, you know, for 60,000 years, you know, we practice, you know, whether they're, whether they're battling as a form of martial arts, you know, um, and then knowing sort of the terrain as well, and then using that to the advantage, to sort of, in every instance, you know, over the over the 140 years of frontier wars that took place, you know, Aboriginal people took, you know, advantage of sort of that knowing the fact that you know they're, or yeah, whether later down the track as well, they sort of abandoned the traditional sort of, you know. Um, of weapons in battling and, and started using guns, but you know they always sort of used you know that knowledge of country and terrain to sort of have an, have the upper hand uh, on 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 the British and, and settlers as well in different parts of the country. You know, um, um, so oh, sorry, you were going to say something?
1: Oh, I was going to say you know there uh, there was this funny um, sort of incident, I suppose, so you know, sort of highlighting what you were just saying of. Some uh, Jarjarung people, which is the people near um, what we you know, now call Bendigo uh, in central Victoria, of um, uh, um, literally building a, a stockade of uh, you know of uh, you know large logs and, and uh, bark and timber, and um, uh, sort of intimidating the, the the whites who are you know trying to um, oust them from their country. Mm. And there's a record of them. Uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, um, showing their bums, yeah. you know, sort of, uh, in a line, and, and mm. calling out to the white fellas, "Come on, you white buggers, <laughs> come and get it!" Mm. Um, you know, that there, there was uh, again, you know, sort of um, reverting back to that uh, that um, mental warfare. Mm. You know that they really were. You know, th- there was a lot of it occurring of. Um, uh, you know a clear intimidation of mm. uh, you know trying to oust the whites by uh, mentally spooking them out mm. uh, on many many occasions and you know there's a you know sort of yet another example of that sort of um uh, you know we're not scared of you and mm. we have the means and ways mm. of uh
0: you know of um you know, ousting you mm. well like that's one of the reasons why i wanted to sort of you know focus on a podcast and recording these histories um coming into sort of you know knowing you know the history of the frontier wars you know my, my knowledge was so little compared to everything that i'm learning you know in this episode and, and in the other episodes that i've done previous episodes that i know the future episodes that i will be doing as well um that's one of the reasons why you know i was so drawn to wanting to do this one because i wanted to record the history of my people um and actually know what they did but then also you know, my mind got, you know, it always continues to expand in knowing that, you know, there are that there are many lesser known Aboriginal warriors or figures who who have participated and carried out sort of this, uh, this resistance and warfare across this country, um, you know, because we look at sort of, you know, Pamuay and Dundalee, um, and I'll just sort of stick to them you know, for, for the, for this part of the conversation who had what you just said, you know, this sort of uh, valor, but then also, um, you know, they had this sort of this figure, this, the, the, you know, that, that people feared them because of the reputation, but yet didn't know who they were, but, you know, they didn't know who, who they were physically, but knew who mm-hmm. they were through sort of this um, spiritual warfare or through this sort of, um, um, uh, uh, guerrilla warfare tactic of, of knowing more about someone than seeing and you know that, that's why i wanted to but then you know over the last couple of weeks knowing that um there's many great people who sacrificed their lives as well has really pushed me to sort of you know go even further and sort of focus on the lesser known sort of battlefronts and and, and resistance sort of leaders as well um, or mm. like the last episode you know with pat with Paddy Gibson, that's what we literally focused on. Was you know a young or elder who um, held a resistance and you know uh, was sadly killed uh, uh, later after um, as a result of, of his actions. But you know is a sort of lesser known person. But the ironic thing about it was it was it, it was carried out in 1933. Um, you know, it was, uh, you know Australia is well established. You know, it's it's 32 years after you know the federation of this country. You know, not to say that you know. Um, the policies and the laws that they use on Aboriginal people was as barbaric or or sort of um, bad as what you know they used for the previous you know 140 years before that as well um, but yeah you'd like to just to sort of know that and, and focusing on how well and how rich you know the history is and how unrecorded I guess um or unknown it is, because I guess it, it is recorded, but we just know less about sort of these individuals and these sort of battlefronts as well.
1: Yeah, the um, it, it, I, I think it's really good that we add the um, what I call the fine brushstrokes of, mm. of the frontier war to our, our knowledge of, of Australian history, that uh, mm. it, it really does um, make for a much more interesting shared history rather than being a... Um, uh, an, an event that we just gloss over. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, so many instances of, uh, you know, Aboriginal people um, uh, using whatever means was that there, uh, you know, was available to uh, resist the, the invaders. And you, know, mm-hmm. and, you know, sometimes that took, you know, all sorts of uh, innovative and, um, uh, you know, re- really clever ways of um you know resisting the invaders from occupying your country mm,
0: mm, mm. um well i guess we'll, we'll sort of get back into um the you know, the some the, the, the notes that i wrote as well um because we're we'll sort of getting to the back end of the yarn like we can yarn about sort of these uh, uh, you know um you can yarn about this topic all day or could um you know so we the, the sort of last note I, I, I wrote down um, at the beginning of the program when we was chatting was uh, the first governor of Victoria was a military officer as well. So this, you mentioned around the 1930s, i uh, sorry, the 1830s. How much that sort of influenced, um, you know, uh, what well, was the war, the continuing war against the Aboriginal people in that area?
1: Uh, I think it, um, you know, there's clear evidence that he um, was under pressure by the um, imperial government in, in London, you know, as we were discussing mm. before, to try and conciliate with Aboriginal mm. people rather than wage a war, mm. you know, sort of a conventional warfare. You know, he, he literally you know, wasn't allowed you know, sort of legally to you know, perhaps do what he um, uh, may have wanted to. Um, But he he certainly did use, uh, you know, sort of the the military um, power that was at his disposable, you know, on on a discreet occasion. There was a um, a raid called Captain Letson's Raid, whereby um, uh, a military officer with soldiers, you know, so I'm emphasising uh, this was not a a police action, this was a military action um, Mm. by the Governor of Victoria he instructed them to um, go and capture um, a a very large group of um, Aboriginal warriors, uh, which they did. They, um, you know, on um, military uh, personnel were sent out by the governor of Victoria Mm. and they were um, rounded up, you know, literally chained to one another um, Mm. and brought into Melbourne and put into the the stockade. So we, we, I suppose what I'm arguing is, is a, a, a civil um, administrative leader uh, wouldn't mm. have had the um, wouldn't have had the military, you know, sort of at his disposal to do that. But uh, mm. you know, this was a, a mili- effectively a military administration uh, administered by a military, you know, ex-military officer.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: mm. Uh, I'm emphasising that because we we do, you know, in Victoria at least, you know, we do tend to forget that um whereas in new south wales it, it's you know relatively well recognized but um in victoria it tends to get forgotten mm. that uh, we had our beginnings in a, a military administration
0: mm, mm, mm. um and i guess sort of just lastly as well um i'll just we'll, we'll just finish up on sort of this this question this is sort of I guess sort of relates to the uh, to the to the podcast as well, but you know there's massive discussions around the world um, and also in Australia. You know, over the last you know a couple of weeks in the news cycle, it's been sort of the removal of statues. Um, you know, and lots of these monuments um, are related to sort of uh, uh, the period of time that we're talking about. You know, uh, some of these are uh, explorers or or military. Um, or governors or sort of, you know, influential people in these times who, you know, who they say discovered or helped, you know, uh, establish different, you know, parts of Australia. You know, in the removal of sort of these statues, do you think, uh, in this conversation, do you think it would be time to sort of, you know, erect sort of statues of Aboriginal frontier figures or, you know, moments... um, remembering <clears throat> monuments sort of remembering um frontier conflicts or, or even victories from aboriginal people
1: i think um uh it, it'd be really really useful um to have um uh statues and commemorative plaques uh you know placed next to yeah. you know of, literally next to you know Mm. to these commemorative plaques to um you know people who did do acts you know Mm. white people who Mm. did do acts of uh violence towards aboriginal people uh i I think the it would um i think it'd be more useful than removing Mm. their statues to uh, actually have well here's a statue that was put up you know in the 1930s or the 1970s to commemorate such and such a figure but uh, you know he's a contemporary you know he's a reminder to you know uh, new generations that there is a dark past to to their past mm, uh, mm. I, I think that from a personal point of view, I think that's a far more powerful message rather mm. than removing somebody's
0: statue definitely, definitely, because um I had a chat to an Aboriginal historian last week um, in regards to uh, to this as well, and he was saying um you know, councils, you know, have been sort of rejecting this offer of one removing or sort of, you know, adding, you know, Aboriginal people to these sort of monuments. Um, they've sort of been removing it as a conversation starter as well. You know, saying, oh, no, you know, it's going to stay or, you know, oh, I need, you know, we don't need to talk about that, you know, but, like, it, it gives a great opportunity to sort of have these discussions, um, whether to add, you know, uh, plaques next to plaques, or even just sort of the added discussion about you know the, the true history of not just what these people did, but then also how Aboriginal people reacted to those and how how Irish people survived you know um, in those times as well. Yeah, I, I think
1: it'd be far more powerful to um, have um, uh, you know sort of a a, a par- you know a reflection, a, a parallel. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, ra- rather than a removal, mm, um, mm, I think it's mm. far more powerful to, yeah. to show how how poorly we, um, uh, you know, viewed the sort of uh, Aboriginal um, perceptions for so long, mm, by having yeah, a, yeah. A, a, you know, an additional commemorative plaque or an additional section, yeah. it's far more powerful, in my opinion.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, I guess just to wrap it up as well, um, you know, for people that may be interested uh, in our conversation would sort of, you know, like to sort of know a bit more about what you've been doing and what you've been writing, where can they sort of find some of your work and what is it?
1: Uh, I, 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 I suppose I'd, uh, direct them to, um, a book I uh, recently, um, published in 2019 called my country All gone. um, uh, it's a, uh, a history of the um, international relations. You know, I used to call it a, mm-hmm. you know, regional history book, but uh, you know, sort of realizing, actually so it's not regional history, it's international history. It's a mm-hmm. history of uh, the invasion between the British and the Wathurung, uh here in the Geelong Barat District. So, mm-hmm. um, um, reorientating, you know, sort of um, trying to reorientate white history towards seeing it as a um, international invasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, these nations across aboriginal australia so mm. yeah that's probably the um the easiest way for people if they're interested in learning more about uh this this side of uh, aboriginal australia's uh, invasion history to um yeah get hold of that book
0: awesome awesome now big thanks fred for coming on um and having a having a chat and sort of adding uh, your knowledge to uh, this podcast as well um you know, like I've said throughout the program, you know, I've been learning many different new things while um, doing this podcast, discovered so much, you know, uh, rich history um, that has that has been created um, through the interactions, you know, you know, through the resistance um, over the first 140-year uh, period, um, which is the Frontier War. So, and I just wanted to say a big thanks for coming on and, you know, I, I do take away quite a bit out of this uh, chat that we've had as well.
1: Oh, thanks, Bo. I really, uh, you know, sincerely applaud uh, your initiative. It is fabulous. It really is a, uh, a really welcome addition to the, you know, conversations, really great conversations that are being held across Australia. And this is, this is terrific. Thank you. <laughs>
0: No, you're welcome. That's all good. And and I guess just on that as well, you know, um, my podcast is the easy part of sort of adding to that discussion, you know, yourself and Callum and Henry Reynolds and, you know, um, all these other historians are doing the amazing hard yards. I'm just sort of sitting back asking questions of the final work. So you know, a big thanks <laughs> for coming on.
1: Terrific.